Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. Let's tell you something. People always ask me how I get guests. And this is weird. My guest today is it's sort of a weird combination. A lot of my guests I get, you know, some of them I know from doing comedy and some of them I know just from different projects and some I just solicit on, that sounds awful, but I'll send them a message on Facebook or Twitter. And at Twitter, you don't get lucky that much. I got lucky with Jerry Stahl. That was one of the only times I got someone off Twitter. And I just get different guests from people I know, like Terry Nunn from Berlin, knew Wendy Lieben, who I got through Jordan Brady, and it all works out. My guest today is very funny. About two years ago, I ran into, I was at Wakano here in Burbank, and there was two guys, and I just started my show, and they had long hair. And one who's became a good friend is Troy Patrick Farrell. The other was John Karabi. And I said, are you guys musicians? So we started talking. And then like a year and a half later, when I said, I want to get more musicians on my show, because I, you know, I want to get the bigger spectrum, I got Troy on. And then me, Troy was over for Thanksgiving, and he said, hey, I'm going to run for Gilby. I said, can you get me Gilby? And he goes, let me talk to Gilby. And I think um, he was you were in uh, South America at the time? Or? Yes, yeah, exactly. And then my guest is Gilby Clark. How you doing, Gilby? I'm doing great, man. Good to see you. It's great to have you come in here. And it's, uh, I got to ask you now, now, I always, I'm on, I'm, I get some musicians on, mm-hmm. and uh, you're from Cleveland originally. Yes. Now, as a kid, mm-hmm. were you a big music fan? I mean, because, you know, kids sometimes, you know, like me, comedy, it's like I saw, mm-hmm. you know, some Woody Allen stuff, and I loved that. As a kid, did you always listen to music? Was music around your house? M- it, music wasn't around my house. Um, I was definitely like one of those lost kids, you know, like I, I had a, a, a small family, brother and sister, mother and father were married. Um, they ended up getting divorced when, when I was a teenager and uh, I, I was heading in the trouble direction. Okay. You know, I was a bad kid, you know, and uh, somehow somebody um, in my group was talking about Kiss. You know, they were brand new out at that time. I mean, we're talking early 70s and uh, I uh, saw the Kiss Alive record and I bought it and uh and that's what got me into music um my first concert was kiss of course i loved you know zeppelin uh aerosmith but uh i just kind of got into music from my friends you know i was in a stoner group you know and 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 that's really was didn't come from my household um just kind of really came organically really what's funny you say about kiss because i remember when i was in uh junior i think junior high i'm not sure but they had a was it rock and roll? One of the albums, the album they had, it had rock a, and roll over. It had a decal. Yeah, rock and roll and, over. And, yeah, and you were cool if yeah. you had that sticker on your three ring binder. <laughs> like everyone was like, like you. I remember I had the blue binder. I'm like, I gotta get this album. I want to be cool. And my parents yeah. got the album, but that was so funny because Kiss. Yeah, Kiss was a generation for us. It was just sort of fantasy too. It was different. Yeah, absolutely. It was, you never saw that stuff. Yeah. Now I, you know because when I got into music at that time, um, I didn't even think it was odd that they wore makeup okay. and had this show i mean that was you know my first thing into music so um you know after they were like my first band then i like i said you know grew into you know zeppelin you know the stones everything else that was popular at that time and i know in my group in ohio uh there is a lot of uh debate you know, if you liked Zeppelin, you didn't like Kiss. You know, Zeppelin had integrity. Kiss was just, you know, a show band and stuff like that. But I I, I, I liked what I liked. And still to this day, as a 50-year-old man, I still I like what I like. If some, you know, I don't need somebody to tell me what I like when I don't like. But back then, I got I love Zeppelin. I love Kiss. I'll go to both concerts. Right. You know, it, it did not matter to me. 
And uh, I actually didn't really even get into those arguments because it, it just didn't you know mean anything to me at that time. Now, you you weren't really into music until a little bit older. And now, when did you pick up your first guitar? Um, about the same time. Um, at, at around that time, uh, we started hanging out actually at a bowling alley. <laughs> and uh, they used to have cover bands on Sunday afternoon for underage kids, you okay. know, where there was, uh, uh, there was alcohol. But for some reason, we were allowed to be there. Of course, we, we couldn't drink. Uh, and I saw some cover bands. And man, I just like really fell in love with that whole live experience of guys playing music and connecting and stuff so um of course you know my heroes you know was ace freely jimmy page you know even peter frampton you know at, at that time so uh you know i i locked in and wanted to be a guitar player and started uh, right then and at that time i took a summer job uh, to, to pay for my first guitar okay took some guitar lessons things like that guitar lessons were horrible Back then, back then, you know, they taught you the old school way of folk, you know, learn, you know, uh, these old folk songs. And I just wanted to play like Jimi Hendrix. Right. You know? It's funny to say, because my high school actually had guitar lab. Yeah. That was a class you could take. And the same thing, it was like you sat there and it was like some guy who was like, you know, just such a doof. You know, he's sitting there like, yeah. oh, listen, you're sitting there with your acoustic guitar. And it's like, you know, you can't do that. And I'm sure that it just, you know, kids who were trying to think they could take lessons. Yeah. It really was hard. It was discouraging. It really was because, uh, you know, like I even, you know, when my parents would ask me how it's going and things like that, I just go, you know, I just, at this rate, uh, you know, 10 years from now, I'm going to learn what I want to learn, you know? So I, I stopped, you know, I mean, I was paying for the guitar lessons myself, you know, and paid for my own guitar and I just didn't see an end, you know? So I stopped and just picked up stuff from, uh, you know, guys around, you know, that played a little guitar and just going to those Sunday afternoon concerts, I'd seriously watch the guitar player and go, oh my God, that's cool. I'm going to go try that when I got home. And I, and I did that. What was your first guitar? My first guitar was a Les Paul copy. Okay. It wasn't a real one. Um, it was a copy. My first real guitar um, was actually, strangely enough, it was a BC Rich Mockingbird Supreme. That may sound like an odd guitar, 1976. Um, Supreme. Uh, it was because Rick Derringer played one, okay. and I was a big Rick Derringer guy, man. I loved Rick Derringer, and he played it. It was something different. But uh, that guitar ended up getting stolen, and when uh, after it got stolen, I actually got it back, believe it or not, five years later, and I traded it for Les Paul. Okay. <laughs> so, so, I'm a Les Paul guy. So you're, you're playing guitar in Cleveland, and yeah. I know I'm just reading your bio. Sometimes you have to worry about bios. So yeah. you left Cleveland when you were 17. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I'm sorry, say it one more time. Said, the bio said you left Cleveland when you were 17. Uh, actually, I think it was earlier than that. I think it was 15. 15 or 16. Yeah, I, 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 but yeah, it says, it says 15. Now, did you... Did yeah, you all right, let's go with the bio. Did, did you, did you 17. Go, did 15 you, or 17. Did you go to pursue music? You get out of Cleveland? No, I actually... My family... My, fam, my parents had gotten divorced, and uh, as a family, my mother took us, the three children, to California. In L.A.? So, yeah, in L.A. So I moved to California. Once I got to California, you know, I started getting involved in the music scene here, and I went to one year of high school, and, and I moved to Hollywood. You know, I, I was out, out of the the parents den and everything and i was living in hollywood at 17 now were you were you a good guitarist at 17 or were you no. still so but but you knew you wanted to be a musician yeah I, I it was funny because when i was in high school uh that that one year um we had one of those guitar classes and uh i actually joined the guitar class but what was funny is at that time i was already in a band by the time i moved to california i was i already found a bass player and drummer and started playing shows you know whether it's high school dances or in california yeah in california um 
wherever it was around town. We were, we were playing shows and stuff. So, I mean, I was, you know, 16, 17 and playing gigs and everything. When it was time to have our recital with that guitar class, they demoted me to drummer because they go, you get to play gigs all the time. This is our one and only show we do a year. So I actually had to play the immigrant song as a drummer in my guitar class. Well, that's still a good song to play. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, I didn't it realize it was hard at that time. Remember, just, it was Moby Dick. You could yeah. have sat there for like two hours. Yeah, But I, it's funny because I wasn't the best guitar player in my school. You know, I mean, there were guys that I thought were really, really good guitar players. It just, I think I was just more determined and uh, like, Kind of that thing of when you set your sights on something, you just do it. And that's the way I was. It's like, you know, all the other kids that were musicians, you know, were hearing the, oh, you know, it's hard to succeed in music and you have fallback on this and that. And I, you know, I had blinders on. I just go, hey, there's Hollywood. I can play, you know, hit Starwood, Troubadour, and I can do that. I, I didn't listen. What was your What was your band called? My band back then was called. Uh, my very first band was a band called Candy. Actually, how'd you come up with the name? Uh, I, actually, I didn't. I joined the band. The band was playing around town. Uh, Kim Fowley was uh, producing the band, and um, it was uh, it was a pop band, but it's strange. I mean, Candy sounds like you know such a you know cheesy thing, but we actually were like a cross between like the Ramones and like uh, the Raspberries. Okay, it was very odd. It's like we all had black. I looked the same. We had black hair. Uh, looked like the Ramones, but the the music was just a little bit more on the pop side. You know, it was rock, but but it was uh, you know it was it was kind of like poison before poison almost. So you play with them, yep, and then after they break up, where do you go? You're still your so yeah. I was playing in my band and playing around Hollywood. I'd moved to Hollywood, playing, doing gigs and things like that. Uh, I lived with the band. We all had a two bedroom apartment in Hollywood, and we were doing gigs and stuff. And the band, we made a record. We did a tour. We opened for like Rick Springfield, Corey Hart. You know, obviously this is the '80s. But it was funny you say that because you're sort of popping. It is such a different. I mean, when you think you know your career, how it's gone. Yeah. To think that you're in a band and and I I was in the '80s. I liked Rick. I did I did a Rick Springfield air guitar my first time on stage in. College to Jesse's girl and, and the women loved it. I he was incredibly talented, and for us, I mean, it was our first tour, and I mean, you know, it's twenty thousand screaming girls. I mean, it was it was an incredible introduction, you know, to you know rock and roll touring for us. Um, I mean, this once again, this is before you know bands like you know Motley Crue and Poison, Guns N' Roses. This was a different time right. back then, and so this was our first introduction was you know doing these tours. Um, at that time, we we're actually on MTV, but MTV didn't mean anything. Back Back then, this is before it really broke bands and did anything. So, uh, the band, by the time it was time to make the second record, you know, things just weren't, you know, the band, the band didn't break. Uh, and that's when bands like Guns N' Roses were starting to take over LA. We were an LA band that was headlining, you know, the uh, the Palace uh, is what it was called back then, uh, you know, which was a theater. You know, we were doing very well for a local band and stuff. We headlined uh, the LA street scene, okay. you know, which, which was a big thing back then. But we just couldn't really break, you know, we just couldn't really go anywhere so um that's when bands like guns and roses were starting to take off so I, I left that band candy i want to do something a little harder i had a band called kill for thrills which um i was not only the guitar player i was the singer in the band so i sang played guitar wrote the songs we got a major label record deal we only had six songs in our set and we got a major label record deal i heard now what was it like because back then they said like when all the bands started breaking it was like it was the same thing they went through comedy when they were just giving like you do it seven minutes and they give a development deal for you guys because that that's when the sunset strip just yes. started really blowing up yep. with 
the metal, the glam rock, everything. So what was that? I mean, you guys, you were on the cusp of that. Was that just like a change? Like it went just from overnight, or did it? How did that happen? It. You know what? No, it didn't happen overnight. It kind of grew gradually. Um, basically, uh, from my band Candy, when we were playing those days, you know, there were uh, the traditional clubs like you know the Troubadour, the Whiskey, the Roxy, um, even clubs like Madame Wong's and things like that. There were a couple club lingerie. Those are the traditional places to play. But then what started happening is these. Guys started opening these clubs that were like one night uh, clubs, like uh, the Cat House. You know, was at a, a venue that was already a venue, but that night it was called Cat House. Okay. And then there was another one called White Trash. And then there's another one called Scream. So these were at traditional venues, but they only happened that one night. So like Friday night, uh, I'm sorry, Tuesday night was Cat House. Uh, Friday night was White Trash. Saturday night was Scream. So these little clubs, clubs started happening around town. And that's what led to bands like Guns N' Roses, LA Guns, Faster Pussycat. They're really started breaking because these bands weren't big enough to play the whiskey the roxy all these traditional places but you could go play at you know uh, cat house which was 300 people so when that stuff started happening that's what really broke into what people now refer to as the 80s scene in la that that really made it a great place to hang out and then it spilled on to the roxy the whiskey well the rainbow was always happening back then but it was um it was a great time. I mean, it was, you know, when you reflect on that, um, there was a, a lot of camaraderie that um, that happened back then that obviously doesn't exist today. Okay. Because uh, even though we, us, all the bands were in competition with each other, we actually were friends. Like, we went to see each other's bands play. As a matter of fact, we used to have rock and roll Sunday softball um, at uh, Hollywood High, which, you know, we were out at Scream till, you know, four o'clock in the morning. And we'd come to play softball with eyeliner on and, you know, roll up your, your you know, jeans and things like that. And, and it was, like I said, it was a really, really good time. It was a fun, fun time. And it definitely, you know, led to some iconic bands, you know, you know, like I said, Guns N' Roses, Jane's Addiction. These are bands, uh, Chili Peppers even were a part of, of, of that scene back then. So. It's so funny because I saw there's a recent documentary on Showtime uh, about the Sunset Strip. And it was just crazy to see because, you know, I've lived there for 12 years and you go to Sunset Strip and it's all right. Yeah. But back then it was just like packed. Like on a Friday yes. and Saturday, it was like, wall to wall like yeah. growing up in New Jersey it's like it's like the boardwalk back there where you, people were just yep. droves and yeah. it's and everyone looked at, everyone was into metal all the girls had the yeah. metal outfits and it must have been a great time for a young guy yeah. in a band it really was I mean it it was it was uh it was there were so many bands too back then and that was the hard part was how do you make your band stand apart from the other bands and what was odd for for myself at that time was like I said you know I was in a band that was before that scene, that band Candy. And we were a big band. Like we, like I said, we were playing, headlining all, all those kind of places. So when that scene came in, that was kind of the tail end of Candy in the beginning of that. So we were almost like the godfathers, right. you know, coming in. It's like we didn't ha have to really pass out flyers and stuff. We were doing well. But then when I started my new band, Kill for Thrills, we very much were a part of that scene of the, you know, we played the whiskey we played the roxy we played scream we played cat house you know we were in the middle of, of, of all that stuff how do you start like when you started kill for thrill how did you start the band because your candy broke up do you sit there and go okay i'm gonna <laughs> sing and write or do you go i just want to find some guys that, that are cool i mean how does that work especially back then because there's probably so many musicians
positions. It's just like yeah. any, any industry. You know, it's like an MBA started coming out. There's yeah. So many MBAs, and some of them just suck, but yeah, they yeah. talk a good story. You know, that's the thing is, I think uh, it really depended on what you wanted to do, you know, when you start a band. Because as I said, there were so many bands. For my band, I, I actually... Uh, strangely enough, I didn't want to be a glam band. Like I wanted to be kind of almost like a um, a blues rock band, you know. But um, but I mean, I wanted to you know represent you know Los Angeles at that time. Like I actually like bands like X. You know, okay. and, and stuff like that, you know, in the germs, you know, even though I wasn't a punk rock guy, it's like, you know, punk rock w was was a great time while that was all happening. Like, you know, the germs were playing the whiskey while, you know, Poison was playing, you know, at the Roxy or whatever. Um, but I mean, I, I wanted it a little bit more musical. I, I somehow wanted to combine, you know, those things, you know, like a good punk rock edge, you know, but with good musicianship and good songs. So when I went to look for guys, it was uh, it, it was, I guess. I thought it was difficult, but looking back, it wasn't that difficult. I actually raided a couple bands is what I did. I took a bass player and drummer that were in a band, and I said, these guys play great together. You know, they weren't happy with their situation, so I grabbed them out of that. And then I needed another guitar player for the band. I didn't want to be a three-piece, so we had this other band. Same thing where the guitar player wasn't happy and kind of like snagged him out of bands. And... That really was uh, apparently how bands were started back then. Okay. Is people just grab people out of other bands, like, you know, you work here, you work here, and and uh, and that's how I started my band. So, Kill for how long did that band go for? Um, it was this was probably in the late '80s, which I would say was the peak of like that Sunset Strip, L.A. street scene, or whatever it was. Uh, late '80s, probably like '88. Guns N' Roses was just starting to break at that time. And um, so we, you know, started playing tours. We did a, uh, we had a couple tours that we did uh, around the states and everything. And then uh, in the early '90s, is uh, I got a call from Slash. You know, um, there was a rumor on the street that um, uh, Izzy was going to leave the band. Now that rumor had been going around for about a year. And uh, I called one of my buddies, Josh Richmond, and said, you know, hey, Josh, you know, if, if this is true, you know, have him call me, you know. Now, and, did you know those guys? Yeah, I, I did okay. know them. I mean, that's the thing is everybody did know each other back then. We um, we used to have this fun pickup band called Trash that uh, we used to play some nights. It was basically just like a jam situation. Uh, we didn't, uh, we picked the set list as we walked on stage. We didn't tune our guitars and, and anybody, you know, like I said, guys from Poison, Axel, Izzy, they were all in the band. Everybody played it in Trash at that time. Um, so yeah, I, I knew the guys, you know, from, you know, being in, you know, hanging out Cat House, things like that. Strangely enough, Izzy, the person I ended up replacing in the band, I knew the best. Okay. You know, him, I knew, you know, even before the whole L.A. scene. He was a small group of guys that we liked hard rock music, but also liked punk rock bands. So, you know, we hung out quite a few times back then. What's well, funny, you said the Rainbow. A little, little known fact, people, about the Rainbow. The Rainbow has great pizza. Yeah, a lot the of Rainbow has great food in general. Not pizza, okay. spaghetti. Uh, I mean, I've, I've have never had a bad meal there. <laughs> so, so Slash gets in touch with you. Yeah, so Slash calls me. Yeah, and Slash calls me and uh, uh, it actually... You know, was, your, ask, was your band still together? My band was together, but we were kind of uh, actually in limbo. It was a strange time. Uh, the record, what we had recorded the record, but the record wasn't out. A lot of times back then, that could almost be a year from the time you finished your record between your record came out. There was a lot of uh, 
you know, a record company bullshit of uh, the perfect timing for the record to come out and you need to do this. And so we were in a limbo. The record was done, but it wasn't out yet. And, and Slash called during that time, you know, and, and I, to be honest, I was kind of uh, not fed up with my band. I was fed up with the record company at that time. So he called and said, look, we need a guitar player. You want to come down? You know, so I came down and I played and pretty much got it like, you know, on the spot. So it was an audition. It was an audition. Yeah. And now, yeah. did you play their songs or did you play some of your own? Yeah, he, no, he told me to, when he, he said, just pick three songs and we'll play them. You know, and that's what I did. I went down and we picked three songs and we played them. And then, you know, he said, come down the next day. That happened for like two or three days. And uh, he didn't say anything. And I actually thought, wow, you know, they called me back a couple of times. Uh, they never said whether they were auditioning other people. So I actually thought, wow, looks like I got it. Right. You know, my, they left my amp there, all that kind of stuff. But the second day I got home and one of my buddies called me and says, hey, man, I just got a call from Slash to go down and audition for Guns N' Roses. I'm like going... God damn it, I've been down there for two days. <laughs> it's like, get off my deck. So get I thought get I off my amp, damn yeah, it. Get you know, off, don't use my amp. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, uh, you know, I guess it. But I, you know, I, just, I kept everything to myself. Strangely enough, within a, a, a week of this whole thing of me going down and playing with the guys, I get a phone call from Slash early in the morning, right? And, and he goes, hey, you know what? We're happy. You're you're good to go. We leave next week. The you know the tour resumes, and uh, you know we're going to go to New York, and the show start. And I go great. Within five minutes, and it's no joke. Uh, back then, uh, you'd leave MTV on your TV all the time. You'd always have the sound oh, yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, totally. But it's just on in the background and stuff. As I'm getting off the phone with him, this is true. I look up, and my picture is on MTV, and they're announcing the new guitarist at Guns N' Roses. Wow. As I get off the phone with them, it's amazing. And can you imagine that, like nowadays, how it would be? It'd be like before they even know it'd be on Twitter. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Just, but yeah, back then MTV because MTV News, you know, it was yeah. and it was great. I mean, that's when MTV was good. I mean, I remember I had MTV from the beginning. Yeah, and it was something that you always had it on. You know, it's like we went to spring break. I remember in college, it was Motley Crue's "Home Sweet Home" was a exactly. big song, and Sly Fox "Taking Me All the Way." Totally across <laughs> the board. But you would always we would watch before we went to the bar is the top 10 video countdown yeah so now you get now you sit there and now all of a sudden you know, Guns N' Roses is huge yeah so now you're sitting huge there and you're you're you've toured with you know yeah toured yeah to a level of opening exactly stuff like that are you a little bit nervous are you excited I mean, I mean it must be as a guitarist and someone who you know just came and said you know hated the guitar class had to play yeah. drums for immigrant song all of a sudden you're sitting there going I'm going to be in a and I'm going to be in one of the biggest bands yeah. ever. How did? How does that? I mean, how old were you? Uh, I'm 50. No, no. What? When you? Oh, at then. Oh, I was 30. At 30. So yeah. how does that? Like 30, your life is going to just completely yeah. change. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it was. It was. It was it, all those things you just explained. I mean, it was. There was a lot going on in my head. Uh, strangely enough, what was really going on in my head was the band. When I when I got the gig, like I said, I only played with them a couple times, and then they called and they said the tours next week starts. Uh, the next thing he said to me is, okay, now you need to learn all of our songs. And, and I go, well, why don't you just give me a list of what you guys play live? You know, I'll tackle that and then I'll tackle the rest. And he goes, well, the problem is we don't have a set list. Okay. He goes, Axel just calls them out and you got to be ready for one of those 50 songs. You don't know what he's going to call out. And that is very unusual for a band. Usually a band has a set list they play almost every single night. Right. Guns N' Roses changes. I mean, they're staple songs they play every night. But they have to. But they, ch yeah, they, but they change like they call. There's no list. They call them out live, which is like how Peyton Manning runs a, a football right. team. You know, how he goes like that's how 
Guns Omaha, are, Omaha, yeah, Omaha, Omaha, exactly. <laughs> so you know, I, I I didn't. I had to learn all those songs. So that honestly, what was in my mind was, oh my God, now I got to learn fifty frigging songs that you know, Guns and Roses wasn't easy music to learn. It's not like somebody had to. Sh- there wasn't YouTube to learn it. I had to right. sit with the record with with you know, those headphones on and learn fifty songs within a week. And be confident enough to play them, like I said, at Madison Square Garden. You know, so that must have been crazy too, because all of a sudden it's, it's Madison. Square. That it's, was it's, what was on my mind. Not you know, I'm in the biggest band in the world, and I'm going to go out there. I had, by the way, I'd also just gotten married, and no joke, a, like a week before I got the call from Slash. I just you know gotten married. You know, my woman I had been with for six years. And I'm going to, oh, by the way, I'm leaving for two right. years <laughs> with groupies and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. So. so all of a sudden you sit there and you said Madison Square, and I mean, your first date you played with them is Madison Square Garden. First gig was actually Boston. Um, we played um, two shows in Boston. The second show was three nights at the Garden. Okay. And now did you play in Philly? I'm sorry? Did you play in Philadelphia? Did you play this? Uh, we did play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I went to so many concerts there. Yeah. But so all of a sudden you're- <laughs> We played so many. I don't remember. Yeah, I'm going to imagine. <laughs> you remember the garden. So, yeah, so it's all of a sudden it's going to be a whirlwind tour. I mean, when, yeah. you, when you're sitting there, you said two years, it's like, okay, you know with, yeah. with their success that you have to play U.S., Europe. Now, yep. had, had you been to Europe before? Never been, never been out of the country. Okay. So, uh, Mexico, but you know. Right. So what was that like? Because I was unbelievable. You're on a plane. That was probably a, was it a private plane. Yeah. I had my own bedroom on a plane. I really? Mean, yeah. Seriously. I mean, it really is that story of you know, I, I, like I said, you know, a guy that, like I said, really hadn't had any success into the biggest man. Yeah, I had my own bedroom on a plane. Um, you know, five star hotels, which I've only heard of before. You know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, but the the cool thing too was the guys in the band. Um, even though you know they're already in this band, they had only experienced this success within a year. You know, if for them it actually came fairly quick. So this was their first headlining tour. So even though I was six months behind them, you know, we kind of were ex- still experiencing it for the first time. You know, so it's not like, hey, we do it this way, you follow us. You know, right. they they really were learning on the fly too. Now, what is it like, though? I mean, just you know, because we always joke around, like with comics and stuff, and anything in business, you go, know, that person's like a rock star. You know, I mean, and, and it's true. It's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a term, and especially used in, in any line of work. Yes. Like, oh, that guy, that engineer. He's well, they a rock write star. songs now, party like a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> now, what what was it like for? Because all of a sudden, I mean, you guys just must have been mobbed everywhere. I mean, what is that yeah. like? To just have? Do you get claustrophobic, or you do you sit there? <laughs> I mean, you would think because all of a sudden you go from a guy who yeah. is recognizable. Your band was big. Your band yeah. was popular. And you know, and you knew people was a set and then all of a sudden you're going and there's i mean people just like running yeah. for you it's not like like an actor will walk down the street people know but it's bands have that 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 maniacal yeah. fan base what is that like for just a guy who all of a sudden is sitting there just got married yeah you're going, you know i'm finally you know I'm, i have this great gig what is that like does it does it drive you crazy it, it, it didn't i did not drive me crazy i mean I, Look, yes, there was a lot to deal with. And, and and now when I, you know, reflect, you know, I I oh man, I did some silly things and crazy things like this. For myself, um you know, like I said, I, I was 30 at that time. And when you're 30, you really feel old. <laughs> it's the strangest thing. I mean, now I look back and go, what an idiot. But uh you know, I, I I had thought, hey man, I had been around for a long time, man. This this was my break. I was gonna enjoy this. You know, it's like you know, this was a time when you know, I don't care. I'm eating the fucking ice cream. <laughs> you know, this 
I was going to enjoy it. And that's what I said to myself. I go, look, at this point in my life, I'm going to be myself. I'm going to enjoy this. Uh, this really is a gift. You know, this is a great thing. I mean, I, I do feel I earned it. But, uh, you know, th- this is a great thing. It was everything since I was, you know, probably 15 years old that I had wanted in life. And and it was. I mean, Guns N' Roses was the biggest band back then. It was decadence at the fullest. It really was that, that cliche rock star thing that it was. It was. I mean, there were fans everywhere. Um, you know, every show was sold out. Um, you know, like you said, you know, there were kids waiting outside the hotel. There were people that when you shook their hand, they cried, you know. I mean, it was it was a lot to mess with your head but somewhere in my head i was like i it's not that i separated myself but i was like you know i'm i'm the guitar player you know i didn't write this song so you know it's like i was enjoying it but i wasn't really like it's almost like i didn't believe it you know it's like i I didn't really let it in you know because i go I, i you know Axel wrote that song or you know slash wrote that song Izzy wrote that song I, I didn't I, I'm playing it I'm gonna enjoy the moment but I didn't really let it in that much so um it was uh I, I can honestly say that I was a little bit more adult about it when it did happen because I like I said been around a little bit you know I did enjoy it but I didn't let it go to my head basically so when you're sitting there now after the tours when you recorded use your illusion Yes. Okay. Now that was two. Now was that always the idea to record two, or you had so much material? Or how does that come about? Because I know, like, you know, I'm, I'm a big Springsteen. Yeah. Fan. And when he put out Lucky Town and another one, everyone's like, oh, he's putting out two, and they're, not, they're differently. You know, the whole well, thing. Well, I got to tell you, bands like Guns N' Roses never really thought out anything. <laughs> it really was uh, the band always was. We're doing it our way. Fuck everybody, you know. And it's like we had enough songs. We're putting out two records. That's just the way it is. It's like we didn't, there was no strategic thinking or anything like that. The band always operated that way. You know, we did it on our terms and we're going to keep doing it on our terms. You know, people don't put out two records. We're putting out two records. You know, uh, you can't play a three hour rock show. We're playing a three hour rock show. It's just the way it was. It was the band uh, was always like that. You know, if you said you can't, then we're going to do it. And, and, and I love that about the band because, uh, to be honest, you know, the bands I was in before this band, you know, I had to fight those fights. And to be honest, I lost a lot of times. Like, I would go, I don't want that producer. He's not the right guy. And the record company, no, you have to use that producer or you don't make a record. So this was a band that really stood up for itself and it worked, you know. Um, so I actually really, like I said, I love that attitude about the band. And, and it really helped uh, my personal confidence, too, over the years. It's funny. I have Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 on cassette. The, or- <laughs> the orange and the blue. I still, I still the cassettes. Now, the, then the band breaks up. Now, did you see it coming? I'm sorry, say it again? When the band breaks up. Did you, I did saw you, it coming. Now, did you, were you preparing yourself or was it, I mean, from wh- at what point did you see it? Was it after the tour or after the album or when did that happen? I saw it while it was going down. Um, there was a couple key things. Um, first of all, when I got in the band, I knew that it could end at any minute. This was a very volatile band. You know, there was, uh, uh, there was a lot of things that didn't work about the band that was just kind of like tension, you know, and, and, and I knew it was going to snap at some point. Um, I, I, look, I'm also not saying, look, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but I mean, I, I was real practical back then, you know, and, and I could kind of see things the way that they're working. And that was another reason for me saying, look, I'm going to enjoy this while I, while this is okay. happening, you know, is it, it may not happen for a long time. This could be the last tour. 
there are a lot of things that weren't working about it. So um, towards the end, of the, once again, the tour went on for two and a half years. That's a long time. That's very, that's really long. I mean, to be with a, a, a girlfriend, to be in the house with them exactly. all the time. Exactly. I mean, you know, I, I had, you know, there were people that had gotten married and divorced during the tour. <laughs> that's how long <laughs> it, it went on. Uh, I, I mean, I got to go to, like I said, countries. I mean, the band really broke down a lot of barriers. Nobody went to South America to play back then. We went to South America to play. It was wonderful. Uh, Czech Republic. We did a lot of different things. Uh, Israel. A lot of places bands never played that we got to really do. That was that was wonderful. Um, so I had saw a couple things. Um, Axel, just during the whole tour, seemed to really separate himself from the band. You know, it really seemed, uh, I mean, granted, I'm not getting into his head because I honestly don't know what he was thinking and stuff, but, you know, the guys in the band had a lot of drug problems, drinking problems and stuff, so, um, you know, it was kind of two camps. There was the Axel camp and there was the band camp, you know? It's like, you know, we played together on stage, but there wasn't a lot going on, you know, afterwards. So I I could tell that um, Axel started saying things like, you know, when this tour is done, I'm never going to play these songs again. You know, we're going to make a new record, and and uh, and and I'm never playing Welcome to the Jungle again. And and just things that he was saying, like I was actually paying attention, you know. And I go, and so when the tour was over, uh, I had gotten a call from uh, some friends of mine at Virgin Records, you know, that go, hey, we'd like, uh, do you want to make a solo record? You know, um, you know, Guns probably isn't going to make a record for a long time. You know, or would you be interested? You have a lot of songs. And so um, I thought about it. I go, well, look, I want to be in the band. I don't want to be a solo. I want to be in the band. But as I started talking to the band guys, yeah, we're not going to make a record for a long time. It's like it could be five, ten years. Right. I mean, turn into 20 years before Axel made another Guns record. So uh, I, I started making plans to make a, a solo record. I had, of course, asked the guys. I showed them all my songs said, look, um, you know, I'd rather Guns did these songs. But if you don't want them, I'm going to make a record. And they were totally cool with it. They supported me. And it really was the kind of the last time Guns N' Roses played on a record together was on my solo record. I Axel was on it, Slash was on it, Duff was on it, Matt was on it, Dizzy the keyboard player was on it. Now, did you were you writing a lot when I mean it was it, it must it must be a I guess a lot must be going in your mind when you're on this big tour. You're yeah. playing these other songs, but then you're are you writing as you're on the road your own yes. material, or when you wrote that you were thinking, okay, I'm gonna give this to the band, or I mean, what was that? Well, I wrote the songs that I was writing while I was in the band. I was writing for the band. Like, I was hoping they would be for the band. Uh, I, like I said, I honestly had no thoughts of ever being a solo artist. I, right. I was doing that. But I did have a lot of songs that I had written before I joined the band. You know, it was kind of going to be like the next Kill for Thrills record, really, is what it was. And so I showed them, like I said, when the tour was over, we were all throwing songs around, you know, hey, check this out, check this out. I gave him the slash. I gave him the axle, and they said, "No, nope, I'm you know, not interested." You know, just you know, do whatever you want with them and stuff. When it's time for us to make another record, we'll all get together and we'll write and make another record. So you saw the band breaking up, yep. but then you had you were prepared because I just said you yep. had this solo thing. So you're not like someone who sits there and goes, mm-hmm. "Hey, you know, I'm I'm in like I'm, I'm in a TV series, yeah, yeah," and all of a sudden the series is canceled. What you know? And you yeah. like, so you had you had an option, and you had a, I did you have an option. Yeah, I mean also. Um, even though I had been in the band, I only been in the band for a couple of years. Um, you know, the other guys 
when the tour is over, they can really take a couple years off. You know, they had made a lot of money and stuff. I, I wasn't in, you know, I was newly in the band. The only money I earned was that couple years of touring and stuff. So in all reality, I did have to keep working. You know, it's like I couldn't just say, all right, I'm going to take the next five years off. You know, I, I, it, I needed something to keep going, you know, in, in between. So it was also to keep me busy. It, it was while I was making my solo record and touring on it that the band really started falling apart you know that okay sorry yeah but anyway that that's when you know the call started going you know back and forth like uh you know this is not working i don't want to play with him anymore i don't want to do that anymore and all that so the band started uh disintegrating you know while i was doing my solo tour slash was making record duff was everybody was apart is when it started happening now what is it like though you go from playing with this big band and now you're going to a solo mm-hmm. record and now now it's the burden of everything's on you I yeah mean, if, if 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 the song if there's a bad show it's not like if guns Roses yeah. is a bad show well axel's off or something yes now it's your center and if people if it's critically gets yeah. panned which your first was your number your first one was uh what was your first cd after? uh my, my first cd was after uh, 94 i think it was 94 95 so yeah. now did you feel pressure or as or just as an artist did you say i gotta i gotta really kick some ass here i came up no with great- you know it's funny you say that because i i did i don't i didn't feel that pressure i actually came out with actually like a lot of confidence i mean that was the one thing that the guns and roses gave me uh like i said it was almost like a new attitude of that you know that fuck you attitude of you know what this is my turn to do what i want and i wasn't i guess in you know, maybe in the back of my mind, I had Guns N' Roses. So if it didn't do well, it was like, oh, it's just a guitar player, you know, screwing around. You know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have feel that pressure. I mean, I know, I know the record company, um, you know, was pressuring me about certain things, but I really had this uh, inner confidence at that time that I was just going to go. You know, I'm just going to, I want to do my thing. You know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, probably in the back of my mind, I said, hey, I got my band. So right now, when you went back to touring. Mm. On the solo album, how what what size houses we play to, and what, <laughs> much what, different from stadiums. Yeah, what, what what is that like? Because I mean, I, I've noticed that you know, even like with comedy and stuff like that, sometimes when there's a smaller crowd, it's a, just a much better set because you have that feeling. You know, there's well, you do have a connection. I mean, uh, it's it, I mean, it, I'd like to you know say the romantic thing and say, oh yeah, it's great. The people in front of you connect with you. Yeah, but I mean. Uh, look, th- it is a different thing. You know, when you're playing stadiums, it's extremely impersonal. It is so much more about performance, but there's you're almost like performing God. <laughs> you know, it's like you're just going out. It's it, it's really hard to connect with that audience. Um, uh, you know, maybe Bono or Axel has a different view of that, you know, but uh, I do find it easier, you know, playing in an arena, a theater or a club show for me uh, because you get that feedback right in your face. You know, it's like if a, a song's not working, it's not working, you know, it's right then and there. The stadium is so hard to tell, you know, right. things, you know, uh, and especially nowadays, you know, um, Things are different now. You know, everybody has in-ear monitors. You know, everything is uh, uh, very interior now. You know, it's like that connection is really getting lost. Like I said, you know, everything's here. Uh, You know, you don't even hear the audience. You know, you're only hearing, you know, the music that's being played and stuff. So um, I still try to, um, you know, keep that connection and stuff. I mean, I always say that, that to me, that's what performing live is, is it's a connection.
What is it like when you hear hundreds of thousand people just cheering? I mean, do you almost get <laughs> do you almost get like knocked over? I, mean, I think because the energy, first of all, you're I, I sort of think you'd be like in a limbo because there's so much music coming out, so that that can carry you. But there's so much coming in; it's almost like a dehumidifier. It's yeah, like it comes up. What I mean, does it just is it just overwhelming when you hear? Or uh, it is a great feeling if you're able to accept it. Uh, I I do think that there are. Uh, musicians performers artists that don't let it in you know that don't let that love in you know from the, that audience um i've never been one of those people um one of the things i remember about uh you know those stadium shows is we were playing the rose bowl with guns and roses and this was seriously was eighty thousand people i mean it's one of a, a big big show and there's a part in the in the guns and roses set where i do this uh um, solo it's just me out on my own, I start playing Wild Horses uh, from uh, the Rolling Stones. Okay. Slash comes out, and we do a little duet together and stuff. It's a really nice moment. No, no one behind us. And uh, when we did the Rose Bowl, I walked out to the edge, and people were screaming. It was a, it was a moment that I actually stopped, took a breath, and said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna remember this." Okay. And, and I actually said that to myself. And to this day, like I said, twenty something years later, I still remember that moment. And like I said, I just say it's love. It's just you know feeling the love. So when you leave the band, you start doing your solo project. Mm-hmm. Then you know the band's over. Yeah. So now you're, but your solo career is going well. Yeah, it's doing good. Yeah, it's, and you're, and you sort of now. Are you? Do you feel like you're reinventing yourself? Is it? Are you going to different? Are you staying no. to the music you play for thrills, for kills and candy? Or are you going a different route in your musical taste now? I mean, one thing I always thought is uh, the music that, for myself as an artist. I really have played the same music I always have. <laughs> I mean, since you know, I was a 17-year-old kid to a 50-year-old man, I really still like the same music that I like. It's just guitar-driven rock and roll, you know? Um, I, I, I don't really think that the songs on my first uh, solo record to stuff I've done with Guns N' Roses to stuff I've done with Kill for Thrills to stuff I did last week is really that different, you know? Um, there's a lot of ways of looking at that, you know, um, but I mean, it's just, I always wanted to play, perform, write the music that I like, that I want to hear. I write a record that I want to hear myself. I don't do it for the fans. I do it for myself. And so, yeah, when I was doing, I was just doing the music that I loved at that time, which really was just rock. I wasn't, you know, making a statement or anything. I was just trying to Make a living doing what I loved. Right. <laughs> really? Now you, you know you said when you were younger you'd love Kiss and you'd love mm-hmm. stuff. Now as when you were with Guns N' Roses, mm-hmm. did you get to meet those guys? Uh yeah. Yeah. So what yeah. was that like? Because yeah. these are guys that when you were seventeen, I mean the reason why you started playing guitar is yeah. because of well, who'd you met? Did you meet both? Uh, of them everybody actually. I mean obviously I didn't meet John Bonham, but right. <laughs> <laughs> uh what's funny is uh some of the guys in KISS, well Gene Simmons I'm actually friends with uh through the years Strangely enough, Gene Simmons helped my daughter get into college uh, like a, a year ago. How'd that, how'd that happen? <laughs> Isn't that a strange, it's a strange story? My daughter um, it just graduated high school, had applied to colleges, uh, but the one college that she wanted to get into, her like her number one A, she got waitlisted. I was doing a concert in South America with Gene Simmons, and we we're sitting on the airplane talking. He's talking about the kids, and I go, "Yeah, my daughter, you know, wants to go to school." He goes, "What school is that?" I go, uh, "Pitzer." He goes, "Both my kids go to Pitzer." I go, "Really?" I go, "See so you love." He goes, "Love them." He goes, "We're on the board." Blah blah blah. And I go, "Well, <laughs> can you 
And he did. Gene Simmons wrote a letter, a beautiful letter on behalf of our family and my daughter. And next thing we got a call from Pitzer and my daughter got in because of Gene Simmons. See, that's cool. That's 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 when you know. I mean, that's just... Yeah. And that's what's great because as you know, rock stars get older, mm-hmm. stuff like that happens and you go, it, they're, they're normal. I'd say people understand this, but behind the stage, they're... There are relationships, normal people. Yeah, and there and there are some really good relationships. And once again, look, I'm sure I'm not in Gene's top twenty five, maybe hundred friend list and stuff. But you know, that was a wonderful thing to do. He did not have to do it, but to sit down, write a letter, you know, not on the spot. You know, he did that, and I thought that was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, in the the big. Guns and Roses when you're in. Did you meet anyone that you were just like blown away? Like just someone who came up and said, "We love what you do." Did that ever happen? Um, yeah, I mean a lot. Yes, lots of people. Lots of people. I, I actually, uh, I, I have a funny uh, um, how I met Jimmy Page and Robert Plant story. You want to oh. hear that? Okay. Yeah. So, um, South America, uh, Guns and Roses uh, was one of the only bands with the Rolling Stones, Madonna, the Ramones that ever went down there and played. And when Guns N' Roses played down there, we played three nights of like 80,000 people a night. They were huge, huge shows. So um, the fans, there'd be thousands of kids outside our hotel. We couldn't do it. I mean, it was like Beatlemania. It's everything that you would think being a rock star was. So um, in uh, 94, uh, when I made my first record, um, I actually went down to South America with my, my own solo band, and I uh, opened for Aerosmith. At the same stadium that Guns N' Roses played, I actually played with my band w- with Aerosmith. But the the difference was Aerosmith coming down to South America was not the same as Guns. Guns was just one of those bands. Like I said, it was like Beatlemania down there. So when I got down there with my solo band, it, there weren't thousands of kids, but there were hundreds of kids outside the hotel that had like my Gilby posters and all this, but there were nothing for Aerosmith. Wow. It was a very odd thing. I, I look. We can talk about it all day. I mean, I really think it was an age difference thing. I was a little bit younger and, and things like that connected with the audience, so um, it was kind of like a joke, you know. That you know, I couldn't go anywhere, but Stephen Tyler could walk out the front door. You know, it was. I was I was enjoying it. And I was making fun with it and everything. So before the concert, I went down to the lobby. My tour manager pulls me aside. He goes, "Gilby, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant are here. They're doing a Page Plant record and they're promoting it down here." He goes, "And uh, Steven Tyler and the guys are all in the lobby. Why don't you come say hi?" So I came down. You know, I, I'd known Steven a little bit. You know, can't say we're friends, but you know, we at least you know can say hello. So I went there and the guys were all talking. My tour manager introduces me to Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. He goes, Gilby, meet Robert. And Robert Plant looks at me, he goes, Gilby. He goes, no, I obviously know who Guns N' Roses are. He goes, you're a huge band. He goes, but I, I don't know who you are, you know. But your fans have been keeping me up for the last three nights, screaming your name outside my window. He goes, I literally had to change hotel rooms because I've been hearing Gilby all night long. See, that's, that's like you're going, wow, that's just too cool. That was a fun, fun, you know, moment. So after your Guns N' Roses and after your solo, I know you, you seem to have been very uh, eclectic projects. Now, is that yeah. something that like you play with a Slim Jim fandom? I play with who? Slim Jim. Yeah, Slim Jim Phantom. Yeah. Now, how did that come about? Because it's <laughs> you think okay, and I'm 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 fifty. I just turned fifty. So yeah. like when the Stray Cats, that was like for us, it was like a no, the different look. And it was cool. Oh, I and agree. You, you think like it's too? Now, did you meet him through biking or? No, I, I actually met Slim Jim. Slim Jim owns. Uh, you know, I met Jim. <sighs> 
honestly, I probably met him like in the 80s. Jim used to uh, own a club uh, in L.A. It was on Hollywood Boulevard, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was a big hangout at, at that time during the 80s. Um, and then later on uh, in the late 90s, he owned a club called the Cat Club on Sunset Boulevard, and we used to kind of do our drinking there. You know, if we went to the whiskey, we'd walk next door to the Cat Club, which was next door, and we'd drink. And uh, Jim uh, owned the club, so we started having little jam nights um, on Thursday nights at his club. I mean, we're talking a place that held 150 people. And uh, we just kind of became friendly. And like you said, you know, yeah, Stray Cats is very different from Guns N' Roses. But when Jim and I talk about music, you know, we we can talk about uh, David Bowie. We can talk about the Rolling Stones. We can talk about the Beatles. You know, there are things in between those bands that we have in common. And so when we would play on those Thursday nights, we'd just do jams and stuff. I said, we'd play Stones, we played Beatles, we played Bowie, all these things that we really did have in common. So then you guys just said, you know, did you ever record together? Yeah, yeah, we recorded a record called Colonel Parker together. Um, it, it was, once again, just a fun thing that kind of uh, happened organically from those Thursday night jams. That that Thursday night jam lasted for like nine years, you know. Well, no, is that, is that the blues? Well, Blue, it, it was called, uh, well, it was actually called the Starfuckers. Okay. But we had some different names, like if we went somewhere else, we called it Blues Mafia. Uh, we called it the Starfuckers. We called it Colonel Parker. We kind of, it was kind of the same band that we just morphed into some different And things. that's the one that's baked potato. Yes, we played the baked potato too. And no, the baked potato was that the one in Hollywood or the one in the valley? No, the one in the valley. The valley, yeah, the valley is the original one that's been there for a hundred years. Because I used to hear about a jam night, like someone Yo, told me, when I moved there, someone said, they said, "Oh yeah, they, you know, they all like the metal guys and all the oven that's just it's crazy and blues guys playing together." So what I mean, so what is it like when you do a jam night? Did you get like eight guys on stage and just how do you? Uh, sometimes it's only play? three or four guys on stage. I mean, usually it would start with uh, there was a, a guy that played uh, backup keyboards in GNR called uh, Teddy Andriatis. Teddy's zigzag we called him uh teddy um came on uh with gnr he played harmonica i played a little keyboard sang a little background vocals he always had a tuesday night uh jam called the uh, screaming cocktail hour screaming cocktail hour and uh you know slash would come down zach wilde would come down ace freely would come down uh i mean it was crazy it was this little blues club that really once again held a hundred plus people that would get some crazy rock you know legends steve lukather would come down i mean it was uh it was just fun and and you never know who would come down that night um and it was fun because we were out of our element you know we're rock guys and stuff i mean of course blues is uh based you know in 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 beginning of rock and roll and stuff but we're not real blues guitar players you know so it was always fun to get together and, and try some things live that must have been great, though, because you just so many different influences and just different people, and so many. Well, first of all, you broke it down. You could write a book on how many stories. I mean, oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, between those uh, Thursday nights at the Cat Club, uh, like I said, we we man, we had Brian May there. We had uh, uh, Bruce Dickinson from uh, Iron Maiden. Right. I mean, we had some, like I said, some crazy people sitting in. You know that you know just came down that heard there was ja- actually Axl Rose I, when uh, Guns N' Roses split up. I hadn't spoke to him in six seven years he showed up at the cat club on thursday night that's crazy yeah <laughs> so when we were talking we about 10 minutes left we were talking about your motorcycles now how long have, have you always been into cycles or when always. did that start like yeah. in back when you were a kid did you when i was them? a kid in ohio and i was like six years old across the street from where i, I grew up uh was a hell's angels hangout 
And uh, so when I was a kid, you know, every day there were motorcycles and barbecues and all that stuff happening across the street. And, of course, as a boy, you know, I was like, oh, my God, choppers and, you know, guys smoking cigars and weed and all kinds of stuff. And one of my best friends uh, lived in that house. Of course, no parental supervision at all. But, uh, you know, I was just, you know, enamored with that. That was just, you know, for me, I don't know, just really turned me on, you know, when I was a kid. Now, how many bikes do you have? Now I have three because I just sold one to the Hard Rock. (laughs) And so the one in Palm Springs? Uh, no, no. Actually, I think it's going to Mexico. You know, you sell it to Hard Rock, you don't know where it's going to no, go. No, because my girlfriend and her, her mom was just visiting. They were at the Palm Springs Hard Rock, and uh-huh. I guess Matt Sorum Matt's bike has, has a there. bike there. Yeah, because yeah, he said, someone from Guns Rose, and that's funny. So now, now when you went to Sturgis, what was that like? Did you start from California and uh, just drive out? Yo, absolutely. We, um, uh, like... I, I love adventures, and somehow I get to talk my friends into it. <laughs> but yeah, um, like this this year we didn't have so many. We've been doing it for about seven, eight years in a row, where um, we get together and we ride. We ride to Sturgis, we do shows, and then we ride back. Like last couple of years, my whole band rode to Sturgis, did the shows, and actually rode back. But uh, a couple of years ago, we had thirteen guys. And, uh, and we did it. We left. It usually takes us about three days to get there. Um, you know, we stay there sometimes three days. Last year, we stayed for a whole week, which was actually wonderful. Um, but, um, yeah, it's fun. I mean, we get into trouble along the way. I mean, it really is. Uh, sometimes we think it's like the, the, you know, early 70s, late 60s, you know, like old school choppers. Right. And stuff. Easy rider. <laughs> yeah, easy rider. We really do. I mean, I, I, I'm still amazed that the wives let us go, but but they do, you know. Yeah, it must be also just, you know, you have guys like, because some people like, oh, long hair guys on cycles. Yeah. They must sit, you know how people think. You yeah, know, but crazy. you got, exactly. I mean, you know, look, as we all know, we, we only get this one life, you know, right. and, and we really have been having such a blast. I mean, it takes, like about 10 days total and i know that uh, i do have some friends that that's hard to squeeze that 10 days out you know but if uh if it's something that you enjoy you know we 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 plan it and we do it we, we do mexico too we go down to mexico we uh, uh ride down to san felipe and sonata do like a little four or five day trip camp out on the beach everything so now you're you're back you're doing touring right now yep yeah okay now i know you were in south america a little was it south america a little south longer? america just uh geez just like two months ago and that was like with an all-star band that was yeah we have this band called kings of chaos um which is actually basically guns and roses without axel it's uh myself matt slash and duff um and then we have a couple different singers miles kennedy who uh plays in in slash a solo band uh joe elliott from uh, def leppard glenn hughes from deep purple um We've had uh, uh, we had uh, Corey Taylor from Slipknot. Uh, we've had Gene Simmons. We've had uh, Sebastian Bach, uh, Billy Duffy from the Cult. We've had some great people. So you just call these guys and go, "Hey, man, we're going to go to these shows." Actually, Matt come? calls them. Okay, no, <laughs> yeah, just... Matt does, man. He's made the calls and basically says, "Look, we we're going to do a, a, a run of dates. It is. It's an all star band. It's called Kings of Chaos. But man, it, it's been so much fun." Because it wasn't Steve Stevens in it. Steve Stevens is yeah, in it too. I yeah, I apologize for not. No, just for us, though, as kids, yeah. you know, when I was watching MTV, you remember his hair. It was so oh, different yeah. than it was that Steve looks hair. exactly the same. I don't know how he does it, but it's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> now, you're Ben now. Now, how did you meet Troy? Troy? Oh, Troy. How did I meet Troy? 
You know, I honestly don't remember how he met Troy. Um, I know he drums for you. Yeah, yeah, he plays drums. He's been playing drums with me for about three years now. Um, you know, the same solo band I started in like 94, I basically still have today. So I, I, I'll go between, uh, you know, playing guitar for somebody. Like I played guitar for Hart. I played guitar for Nancy Sinatra. Uh, what was MC- that like? I mean, uh, it's like, I mean it's, that's a legend. I mean, that wonderful, right wonderful. The only problem was is I, I got fat. <laughs> because Nancy is really that old school Italian. So you play a show at 11 o'clock at night and then she'll go to to Patsy's at 3 o'clock in the morning and have you know steak and pasta and all that man I couldn't keep up with her (laughs) but that must be weird all of a sudden Nancy's not I mean going from you know and even Hart I mean Hart's a a Hall of Fame group I mean we all grew up with Hart so so then you your band has been pretty much the same but you go off at times and do these yeah I do my solo bigs like if there's not um, you know like a like a paid guitar gig where I just play guitar for somebody. I always keep my solo band together. So um, if it looks like the next six months, there isn't any other work, like we'll go out and do dates and stuff. It's just under my name, Gilby Clark. And I play like, you know, I've made a bunch of records on my own, but I, I play some gun stuff. I play, I may even play Nancy Sinatra's song, uh, uh, some Rolling Stones, some Beatles, really the same kind of music that I've grown up with. You know, it's just, I call it, it's just rock and roll, man. It, it's just, you know, if, if you're a fan of, of you know hard rock you'll you'll love the show the the musicians are fantastic sometimes we'll pull out a song that we just learned that day or didn't learn you know uh, but this the sets are very fresh um you know pulling new songs all the time and stuff like we're you know good at entertaining and like i said the musicianship is good now do you constantly still write new material do you try to keep or just like sometimes I get lazy <laughs> i mean i think you have so much but you for you we probably have such a huge collection of songs and yeah. plus you said you play other songs it must be sometimes hard because you're going you know i'm going out i'm doing what i love it is hard. people are coming to see me do i really want to write something because that's gonna be a whole process it is i mean i i try to uh I tried to not look at it like work. I tried to look at it from an artistic standpoint. And and actually that is why it does get hard because sometimes I'll be working on a song like like I I'm inspired, you know, I have an idea. Oh, I want I want to write a song with like this country kind of guitar part. And as I start working on it, and I start thinking to myself, you know what? I've already written 3 of these. Right. You know, so unless it really does have a new twist on it, I got to tell you I I put it in the back seat and that does happen a lot over the last three to four years, you know, because uh, I'm terrible at writing another song if I've done something like that before. You know, I always try to write something, like I said, that I haven't done before, you know, or uh, once again, a song I would want to hear. So yes, it is. As I'm getting older, it does get harder and harder for me to write songs. I have friends that can write 20 songs in a day. I never got it. I'm not that guy. I can write 20 songs in a year. (laughs) (laughs) So you're coming up on a tour. How do you pick where you're going to play? How do I pick where I'm going to play? Like you're playing like towns. Like you're, you're go- I know you guys are going to Chicago. Or yeah, Milwaukee. yeah. We're going to, we, get, we have a little run that we're going to uh, St. Louis. We're going to Chicago, Milwaukee. Um, things um, just kind of, usually what happens is there's an anchor date. You know, we get offered like either through uh, my agent uh, or a management thing goes, hey, you know, we have this good payday gig. And then what we do is we put shows around that anchor gig. That's usually what happens. In this case, we had uh, an anchor gig in St. Louis. So we put all the shows around that. Um, In South America, just a couple months ago, I actually went and played about seven shows on my own with uh, my solo band, and then I went and switched over and did the Kings of Chaos date. So I had some anchor dates in Argentina, and we put together Brazil, 
uh, Uruguay, Paraguay, all that kind of stuff. Now, is it easier touring now because you know you're only going out for a little pop compared to when you went out for two and a half years ago? <laughs> I mean, is it, you sit there and go, okay, this is, this is fun, and it's going to be over when you come back home. Do you like that feeling now that you're older? Yes, it, it, is, um, it, it is a lot easier. Um, it just... Um, it once again it depends if i had a brand new record out and i'm promoting something really fresh then i probably would go out for six months or whatever but um it's a different time right now i mean uh you know the competition is brutal you know for a guy like me like, i'm really just a guitar player so it's hard to go out there and try to convince people not to pay for that 250 dollar uh, rolling stones ticket and you know come see me uh so it, it is a, a lot harder to get gigs that we find ourselves playing internationally a lot more because america uh you know, switches trends so quickly. Right. You know, like right now, hard rock is not fashionable. It, it, it is not popular right now. Um, so, but in uh, Europe, South America, it's very popular, still doing as well as it did in the 80s. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, it's just been a great interview. And, and uh, tell everyone your info, your contact. Okay, uh, and, and yeah, the, so the website's uh, great. Your website's once again, uh, I have a website still, just gilbyclark.com, and Clark's got an E. Um, I have a uh, Twitter account, which I think is Gilby Clark. I think it is. I just yeah, I think it's Gilby it. Clark. I, I have Instagram. It's uh, Gilby GTR. Uh, I have a Facebook page. I have uh, I have every, everything. You know, just if you search my name, it, it comes up on all those uh, different formats. Now, are you playing the Viper Room very soon? I'm playing. The, thank you for reminding me. I'm playing the Viper Room Monday night. This Monday night, uh, we only play the Viper Room once a year, and this is our Viper Room show. So uh, it's going to be this Monday night. We play at ten o'clock, uh, not too late for a Monday night, and uh, it'll be uh, actually actually Troy will not be with me because he's got a gig uh, out in the Midwest somewhere. Right. But uh, Chad Stewart is playing drums, and EJ Curse, who is my normal bass player, is playing bass. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. It's great. Thank it's you for having you. me, Steve. Uh, people, uh, follow me Twitter at Cooper Talk. Also, if you want to hear past episodes, I have 220 episodes up at CooperTalk.net. Or if you have an Android phone, go to the Google Play Song uh, Play Store, type in Cooper Talk. One word, my app comes up. If your iPhone, type CooperTalk.Podbean.com forward slash mobile forward slash. You get the iTunes app. Also. Uh, don't forget, um, what was I going to say? Oh, keep listening to my show and send me an email, cooperindy100.com. I want to hear from you guys. You know, you, it's I want to hear what kind of guests you want. I said I'm trying to diversify a lot. You know, I had Gilby on today, and on the next week I have the uh, very funny actress uh, Mo Collins and the very funny Timothy Stack, who wrote for My Name Is Earl and also was on Son of the Beach, and is just a hell of a talented guy. So follow me. Go to iTunes or Cooper Talk. You can listen. Type in Cooper Talk one word. You can listen to past episodes, and please do follow me. Keep listening. Remember, don't forget, drink your water. Eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. You guys have a wonderful weekend.